I'm Joanna Roach, the Executive Director of the Green Spa Network. Thank you for tuning in to Vital Stories, which is brought to you in part by Nantucket NPR station WNCK 89.5. In today's episode, we will be speaking with Rona Berg of Organic Spa Magazine. Welcome, Rona. Thank you for having me, Joanna. I am excited to talk to you this morning because your magazine is one of my favorite magazines. And what's cool about Organic Spa, I think, is one that it's a fairly new magazine in the sense that many others have been around for years and years and years. And yours is, is it, it's less than 10 years old or is it just 10? We just hit our 10th anniversary, actually. Yeah. We just hit it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, we're very fortunate because we're in a niche space that's becoming much more mainstream as people, you know, become much more interested and passionate about natural, organic, sustainable wellness lifestyles. So we're just cooking. We're cooking along. Yes. It's really exciting. Yes. As my kids say, you're cooking with gas. (laughs) Yeah. Old school. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, what brought you here to this place of being the editor of Organic Spa Magazine? Well, I'm a lifelong journalist. I'm a writer and editor, a speaker, a best-selling author. And I am really lucky to have known what I wanted to do by the time I was seven years old. I read a book called Harriet the Spy, and I don't know if you're familiar with it. Oh, yes. But, yeah, it's a children's classic, and I was introduced to the idea of carrying around a secret notebook and documenting the truth. And I just got hooked, and I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And I was trained at the New York Times. So I still do it old school, and I still carry around that notebook. And in terms of the organic and the natural lifestyle, I've always kind of lived that lifestyle personally. But what's really exciting now is that the market has come up to a place where there are beautiful products, where it's easy to get organic food. And we're even starting to think more about ethical food fashion and sustainable textiles and things like that. So, you know, between that and the bigger issues like water conservation and global warming, there's just so much to talk about, and I'm really passionate about it. So it's um, that's kind of the short version of my story. Yeah, I love all of those things. You're right. They are of the moment, right? You know, the spotlight is on. Yeah, yeah. And the market for that is just growing and will continue to grow as people become better educated and better informed about, um, well, I mean, for example, you know, climate change and how the clock is really ticking on that. Mm-hmm. So that's just one issue. But, um, you know, I'm, I, I really um, I believe that people are becoming much more aware, and so they're just much more drawn to educating themselves about these important issues. Yes, I think they are. So where in the vast world do you live? Manhattan. Manhattan. I'm a fifth-generation New Yorker. So um, my family has been here a long time, and at this point it's pretty much in my DNA. So what's that like? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a passionate love affair, you know. I mean, it's, it's, um, this city is, is in my blood. It's my hometown. And... 
sometimes I really do crave a little more Nantucket in my life, I have to say. <laughs> but, but I'm I'm lucky because I get to travel all over the world for my job, and I spend time in really beautiful places. But I'm always so happy to come back to New York. It just excites me. It exhilarates me. And it's not for everyone. But everybody loves to come here and visit. So um, I'm fortunate that way, too, because everybody passes through here eventually. Isn't that the truth? And I think actually Manhattan and Nantucket are very similar in the sense that they are both islands that people love to visit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. agree. So um, what was it like to grow up there, though? I mean, that is, I think, a fairly unique experience. (coughs) Well, you know, it's a place where you grow up surrounded by diversity, so that is the normal for people who grew up in New York. And we raised our daughter in New York, too. And when she travels other places, she becomes very aware of the lack of diversity in vast swaths of this country. Um, You know, the, the classrooms are large. I went to early elementary school where there were, you know, oh, my God, what was it, thousands of kids in the school. Um, so, um, and we, we took the subway at an early age, and it's interesting because I always felt very safe here. I always felt that, um, and for my daughter too, traveling on the subway, for example, or on the bus and being surrounded by so many people, you feel protected as compared for me to, you know, being in a suburb or a small town where you're maybe the only one on the street and where you don't have that sense of, and it was kind of inverting, you know, what people think. But, you know, you you do have that sense of safety and security being in a big city that, for me, I just don't have when I'm in a a smaller and quieter place. Do you think that's odd? I don't know if I think it's odd. I think it's interesting. I think it, you know, it's the human conditioning, right? Yeah. What you get get familiar to, what you get familiar with becomes what's comfortable. So how do you think the location of where you grew up and where you live and where you've invested so much of your life, how do you think it impacted your thinking on the planet? It's, um, it's interesting. New Yorkers are very much aware, living in a city with so many people, of how important it is to protect this environment that we all share. Because we live so close together and because we're all jostling for space all the time, we have a heightened awareness of, you know, protecting our small patches <clears throat> of green and our small spaces. And, you know, I, I think about this, and to me, New York is one of the greenest cities on Earth. And, again, that may not be the, the sort of prevailing wisdom, but if you think about it, we don't own cars. We take public transportation. We live in small apartments. We use very little energy. We are famous for our water, which we drink from the tap. So, you know, it's, it's, and we walk a lot. We walk a lot. We don't have those big refrigerators and coolers where you sort of stockpile all your groceries and, you know, have, have extra freezers and things like that. Um, you know, so it made me really aware of how important it is not to waste things, not to create too much waste, too much garbage, to keep my area and my space clean, to use the trash bin, you know, things like that. Um, And, you know, we 
have a long way to go here, and we can't really compete with, you know, our friends in Boulder who ban plastic bags, right? Or um, my daughter lives in Austin where they pioneered the first green building program. You know, other cities like San Francisco, they require recycling and composting. But but we're getting there. We're getting there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you think that that has impacted your life's philosophy? And how, how do you approach life? I am an optimist, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Um, I really have a very positive instinctual attitude toward life, and I think I got that from my grandmother. I think we all have a few people in our lives who imprint something important on us when we're kids, and and my grandmother was that person. Um, She lived to be 99, and honestly, Joanna, she lived on black coffee, rare steak, and Entenmann's coffee cake. But <laughs> <laughs> not exactly your your wellness or your health food diet remotely with little packs of um, artificial sweetener in a big handbag. But I am 100% convinced that it was her optimism that led to her longevity. And there's research now to back that up, which is why... We're all talking about how to manage our stress, right? Because we know how harmful it can be, and we know how too much stress can lead to inflammation, which can lead to disease, right? Right. So, um, you know, people are much more aware of trying to frame things in a positive way, Um and, you know, one of my slogans, honestly, is something that Martin Luther King said, which was, um, let me get this right, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. And that's kind of the credo for me. Wow. I, that's great. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I, I think that, you know, having those sort of guard, guiding principles are important. They are. And, you know, it, um, it keeps you going, really, mm-hmm. you know, if you can keep your eye on the ball in that way. And I, I think, you know, that sometimes we don't realize how important we are in crafting that for our children, too, or, or grandchildren if you're grandparents, you know, and how much of an imprint you can make on a person as they're growing up. But... Um, but staying positive, you know, is something that I talk to people a lot when people get discouraged about this or that. And it's just so important to understand that the world revolves in cycles. And we've seen bad ones before. We've seen good ones before. And we have to stay positive and do the work and keep on going and inspire other people as much as we can. Mm. I like it. Um, how do you define balance? Ah, you know, that's, I think that's an interesting question. Um, To me, the world is full of opposites. You know, you have shy people, you have assertive people, you have proud people, you have humble people, you have honest and dishonest people, good times, bad times. Um, For me, that kernel of truth is found 
in that pers- in the perspective of balance, in a positive attitude, and in resilience and in love. So finding that middle ground always, where where people can come together, or where an individual can come together with themselves in a healthy way, for me, is what balance is all about. And sometimes, sometimes it takes work. You know, sometimes we really have to work hard to break out of a negative or a positive and achieve that kind of balance. But um, ultimately the outcome in any situation is better if we can find that. Mm. Yes. And how do you feel about inspiration? Where Where do you find inspiration? Well, I find so much inspiration in my neighborhood in New York. You know, if I get stuck inside my own head, if I'm sitting at my computer and I just can't seem to move forward, all I need to do is walk out of my building and walk around the neighborhood, and inevitably I will see something that will crack me up or that will inspire me or trigger an idea or, you know, or, or, or just you know, be amazing. Um, I read a lot. I travel a lot. I talk a lot. And I, I find a lot of inspiration in people and in art. I love to walk across Central Park and go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art or MoMA for a break. And I'm really lucky because I can do that, just spend an hour at the museum, just walk across the park, spend an hour at the Met, go look at one exhibition, and then come back, and it clears my head. Mm -hmm. Um, I love nature, um, which a lot of the time when I'm not traveling means a walk in Central Park, which is not what most people would think of. But um, I find nature more relaxing than inspiring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a third word that I like to explore here, which is, you know, gratitude. Because oh, I think that, you know, balance, inspiration, and gratitude all sort of go together. Well, they do. And gratitude is highly underrated. Um, I am grateful for every day. And as I get older, I become more aware of the passage of time, which makes me more aware of the importance of not wasting it. So I am grateful for the love of my family and friends and all of the beauty that I see around me. And I'm grateful in this moment for all the women who have had the courage to speak out on behalf of all of us, right? Right. And remind us that we can't take anything for granted. You know, anything, anything that was once worth fighting for is still worth fighting for, you know. And a great example of that is, for me, the right to vote, which many people don't have around the world. And I'm grateful for that voice, especially when you think that women didn't gain the right to vote here in the United States until 60 years after slavery was abolished. So, you know, we, we, we need to be grateful. Yes, that is a very, very good point, especially in these days and times. Especially in these days and times, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So, I think it can be challenging to stay positive and to appreciate everything we have and the beauty around us, but, but it's, it's, worth, it's worth holding on to that. I agree, I agree. So in terms of, you know, sustainability... 
right? In in your world, I think you have sort of this duality. You have this, you know, journalistic world where you're responsible for writing about sustainability. And then you have this personal world where you practice sustainability. And, you know, how, how do you, how do you balance those things? How do you balance those two parts? Um, it's interesting because as a journalist, I'm used to taking that sort of balanced view and looking at both sides of things. And, you know, as a person, as a human, as an individual, I, I think about sustainability every day. And I think about the little things, you know, how important it is to, to make an effort to understand the impact that our lifestyle choices make. And not only on our personal health, just in terms of eating healthy food or what ingredients we're using <clears throat> in our beauty and personal care products, but the health of the planet and how we need to connect the dots and how those are connected, you know, and how I, I, I think about how everything goes somewhere and how our individual choices, you know, whether we choose to take that plastic bag at the market, you know, whether we take that straw when it's offered, everything goes somewhere. And all of those individual choices impact, you know, our ocean, our atmosphere, our planet, ourselves, and, and other people. Um, so it's, it's kind of a constant hum. And as an editor and a journalist, I'm always thinking about how to reframe these, these issues and these questions and how to bring them forward to our readers so that our readers will, you know, uh, will sort of feel the impact, you know, for example, that, you know, ha most of us um, throw away 80 pounds of textiles every year, you know, which is a lot of stuff going to landfill, you know, and I, I think about when I, when I use my cleanser at night or I wash the bathroom sink with household cleaning products, what is it that's washing down the drain, right? Where does it go? It goes to our rivers, our soil, our lakes. How does it impact our health? How does it impact the health of the environment? Um, you know, when you throw your plastic bag away, mm -hmm. where does that go? Where is away? You know, it's that big trash vortex in the, in, in the, in the Pacific and now in the Atlantic, too you know, and those plastic bags that are impacting the birds and the turtles and, again, ultimately us and the planet. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a lot. It's a lot to think about. Even, even what you put on your skin, you know, how important it is to limit the use of some really bad chemicals that absorb into your skin. And unlike the food, that we eat, which is filtered by the liver, the products that absorb through the skin go directly into the bloodstream, where they kind of go gonzo and circulate throughout the entire body. Right. Um, so it's a lot. It's a right. lot to think about. How do you think we can best influence people to take action, become involved? I think one thing that, every, that we can do is find something that you're passionate about. And then share that excitement and that passion. And always be on board with one nonprofit that supports your position and your passion. And volunteer your time or your money, whether it's uh, the Green Spa Network or the Wildlife World Wildlife Conservation or it's um, 
you know, a, a, a different kind of an organization, everybody can do one thing and become more engaged and share their ideas. And hopefully in this time, you know, with civility and not shouting and not insulting each other. <laughs> Which <laughs> doesn't think, really work super well. <laughs> uh, well, we can try. We can try. We can sure. try. But I think that sort of just one thing philosophy, and if you can't volunteer your time, then maybe you can volunteer some of your money to help support a nonprofit that advances your beliefs and your goals. It's true. Okay, next question. What do you think is the most important issue facing the next generation? Oh, well, sadly, that's, that's easy. I think it's global warming. I think it's climate change. Um, I think that new report released, have, have you read that report, the new release, the new report released by the um, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is a group of scientists convened by the UN to guide world leaders? That report was just much worse than anybody expected, and it described, you know, the drastic measures that we need to take now to cut back on carbon emissions, um, you know, and it described a world of, of food shortages and wildfires and extreme heat and a mass die-off of the coral reefs as soon as 2040, which, you know, is not... Not far away. Not far away, you know. And if anyone's read The Road by Cormac McCarthy, that's kind of, you know, the horrific... I have. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of what we're looking at. Looking at. So <clears throat> for me, <clears throat> that ties into, you know, the importance of voting because, you know, if it, 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 it really is the most important issue facing our future. It may not be the sexiest issue, Joanna, <laughs> you know, and it may seem like something that is down the road and can be ignored for now, but this report, um, you know, and... Uh, by this group of scientists that was presented to the UN is is really um, an eye opener, you know. So I think if people are young, they need to care about the future of the planet for their own sake. And if they're older, then they need to care about it for the sake of their children and their grandchildren. And if they don't have kids, then they need to care about the survival of life on this beautiful planet, right? So I I just really feel this is the time to really awaken people and help people with tools and with a roadmap and with ideas on how they can contribute to doing something to help, um, you know, climate change and, and the impact of global warming. Well, that is very well said, Rona Berg, editor well, of you. Organic Spa Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Very well said. And, and thank you really so much for joining us this morning and sharing your thoughts on um, balance and sustainability and life. Well, thank you. Thank you, Joanna, for having me. It's been a pleasure. Vital Stories is supported in part by Eminence Organic Skin Care, a certified B Corporation and maker of professional skincare products crafted from premium, natural, organic, and biodynamic ingredients.